Brene Brown says, people are hard to hate close up, so move in. Welcome to Freaking Felon. Hi, my name is Jen, and welcome to Freaking Felon. Last night, I got sucked into a show at my ch my daughter convinced me to watch. So my daughter and her girlfriend wanted to watch Love is Blind, the season finale and reunion show. And it got me to thinking about the concept behind the program and people getting to know each other without ever seeing each other and how that kind of relates to the concept behind Freaking Felon about how it's easy to judge somebody without having all the facts about a person. So just a little history about Love is Blind. Um, when I was reading up about it, the review on Rotten Tomatoes reported an approval rating of 74% based on 23 different reviews with an average rating of almost 6 out of 10. And the website's critical consensus reads, Addictive but problematic, Love is Blind is undoubtedly an intoxicating binge, but its version of romance often comes off more toxic than aspirational. That in itself was kind of interesting because we sit there and we magnify the relationships between people off of these brief interactions, these brief introductions. And we expect them to either connect or not connect. And when in a forceful situation where you have to get up and close and personal like that, obviously a lot of people have a lot of background trauma that is not discussed on this show, as well as people who have just been uh, released from incarceration or whatever, and is thinking about getting back into the dating world or is in a job or any kind of relationship style. So whether it's a relationship with a boss, a partner, a friend, um, a religious a leader, um, a mentor, counselor, if something doesn't go exactly right, then there's that fight versus flight response, right? And for those on the show, it's expected that they have some of those skills to be able to navigate that. But the show actually thrives because they, I believe, um, pick individuals who don't have those skills honed, um, which does emulate a lot of the individuals who have just got out of incarceration. And so that part I find interesting. So I'm going to continue. Um, Variety, the magazine, writes that this smashing dating series uh, is the new standard bearer for romantic reality TV. It escalates from relatively simple setup to wild heights of human behavior, all because the contestants are or appear to be left to their own devices. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Like there's no relationship counseling along the way. Just like there is no life counselor along the way when people are being released from incarceration. Um, the decider states that Love is Blind is a fascinating relationship study with all the drama you'll love. Season one was a reality show car crash and the likes of which we've never seen before. Season two didn't have the newest working for it. So it went full on bananas and gave us maybe the most chaotic reality TV season on Netflix. 
season three, Love is Blind may have become a well-crafted reality show and nay sayers about the incredibly complex, at times confusing, sometimes dangerous world of love. The Guardian wrote that Love is Blind is basically crack or meth. It's like a crack meth. You will decide to give it five minutes before bed one night and you'll find yourself still on the sofa as the sun rises another day. You'll be bleary-eyed and shattered from all the shouting you have done, the emotional investment you have made, the WhatsApp messages that you have typed to specifically formed group, and the heartfelt contributions you have made to various internet forums on the subject. The Vanity Fair says it's an emotional thrill ride from start to finish. So if this, if watching individuals navigate life without any kind of expert guidance, without a kind of counselor, without kind of um, a mentor or a coach, and we are enjoying watching how they figure out navigating it, and we as viewers are either cheering for them to succeed or we are cheering for them to fail. Says a lot for us as a society. So if we wanted all of them to succeed, if we introduce them to various tools to utilize for their communication, for their conflict resolution, you know, the success rate of these individuals may be at a lot higher percentage. Because as I was looking through the different seasons, the first season, two out of the one, two, three, four, five couples, no, six couples made it. Um, so that's one third. The second season, the two that got married out of the six are already divorced. So that's a complete 100 bust. It, it did not succeed at all. In season three, out of the five couples, there are two out of five. So it's still close to that one third mark. Now, season four, obviously it is the newest season and there's three out of six, so that's half. So the success rate went up, but it's still early to say if they are still together because the other ones obviously have had more time to say whether or not they were going to succeed or not. So therefore, if you would look at the success rate of a person who has been um, incarcerated and re-entering society, the success rate is almost similar to the show. So they say that, you know, that one third go right back into the system and, and it becomes this revolving door. But in reality, if you look at these individuals who are flying blind as well, it has the same kind of success rate. So if we are not going to put the tools in place for these supposed well-functioning individuals who uh, have careers and who are in their you know 20s and 30s and they can't figure it out, who have support systems, why do we have this expectation to have a better success rate for these other individuals who are coming out of in prison and don't have support systems and have a lot more trauma in the background 
and we are not giving them the tools or the coaches or anything else. So I just found this to be a really great way to look at people who are on this reality television show and compare it to where we are today with re-entry programs. <laughs> it's just, it, it boggles my mind that we can sit there and get so engrossed in people's lives and really cheer for them to make it all while we can ignore other people's lives who are really struggling, who really need the cheering crowd, who really need the support systems, who really need the tools and ignore them just because of a mistake they made in their past. It doesn't matter if Micah from season four cheated or didn't cheat with Kwambi and why Paul didn't marry her. You know, we don't judge that mistake. Well, it might yell at the television, but Micah is going to move forward and live a completely normal life and not spend time in prison due to her mistake. Whereas you have an individual who um, gets out of incarceration, tries to get into a relationship, even though that's obviously a bad idea. But we will work on that on a different podcast. But gets in a relationship, doesn't know how to communicate, makes a bad decision gets put back in prison because they chose to use maybe drugs to cope with their emotions and their life starts back over again while incarcerated. So it's just an interesting concept. If we did more reality TV shows and about people who are actually coming out of incarceration and we could cheer them on to succeed, it would be interesting if that would awaken the need for additional tools that are not being provided for these individuals. Because all I could think about yesterday is, as I was watching this finale with my daughter, is we are watching grown adults act like teenagers all because they're not being held accountable. And we're okay with it. We're loving the drama. And where is the, the counselors to hold them accountable? Or where are their older peers that be like, you are acting like a fool. And where is the, the maturity in watching the guys decide whether or not they're going to be loyal to one person? It's all playing out right in front of us on television. And they're all left to their own devices, which is the point of the show. I know I'm talking a little bit in circles, but just processing this out loud and how it really emulated what's broken in our society. And yes, it is addicting. It's always addicting to get involved in other people's drama. It's always addicting to, you know, find the hero versus the villain and we love it when people hold people accountable in a public setting. At what point do we say, this is what you're lacking in life. It doesn't matter who you are. This is what you're lacking in life. You really need to work with a professional coach or a counselor, or you really need to 
um, attend some classes to understand why you react the way you do to certain triggers. Like there's just so many services out there that are being underutilized and could be incorporated in such programming to show the effects of positive reinforcement, positive, constructive work on your mental health and how to communicate to make life more successful. Like if we could introduce those into the reality shows and make it more accessible and quote unquote normal so that people really are like, well, hey, if uh, bliss can get emotional counseling and really work through some trauma, then why can't I? Now, that's not on the show. So I'm just saying as that as an example, if we make it more mainstream to be accepted to get help when we're making mistakes and and understanding why we made those mistakes, it would just make it a lot easier for those who are watching on the outside realize that this is an acceptable form of life is to ask for help. This is totally cool. This is great. And for those contestants like Zach, who didn't have any um, parents alive and the one his mother was a stripper for a living, did he ever deal with those losses, number one? And did he ever process the trauma of not having enough food growing up? And I feel like a lot of people watching could relate to that because not everybody has this, oh, I had two parents and we had this great life where I never had to worry story. Um, I think you get more of that a little bit, but a lot of people in our age group have some pretty dark backgrounds. And if that was talked about more and about how he got to where he is today, and discuss the mental health pieces on the work he's done and the counseling that maybe he did, that would be great for everybody else to hear and then not judge on the fact that it's okay to get that help. So yes, back to the show. Netflix reported 30 million households had watched the series within four weeks after the premiere and it was like the 2020 trend um, stayed on the top 10 for 47 days straight. It was one of the longest running of any title behind Coco Melon, um, which is geared towards children. And while adults usually don't tend to watch the same show over and over again, Love is Blind has conquered that with adults. It had delivered 1.5 million viewers for the first five episodes. And for the finale, it had recorded 829,000 in the first week. Um, as of just the other day, uh, yesterday, actually, if you want to look at these statistics, the reunion episode last night was viewed by 2.5 million viewers. So again, if we could really evaluate why this is addicting, what is the show missing and see why we as the consumers cheer for some and vilify the others. 
maybe we can start thinking about how we treat other people in our society and why we cheer for some and hope the rest fail. Thanks for joining me. Have a great day.